Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. What does it feel like when we're in prison? Now, I know that we're, most of you have not in this room ever been in prison. But as I've talked to more and more people, it seems like we kind of have this mentalness of putting ourselves in a prison-like situation where we don't feel like we can get out or seems, things seem hopeless. Or even the idea of just believing a bunch of different lies that aren't true. And so we get trapped by these feelings and we don't really know what God is doing through, through it all. And so I feel like this story of Cheryl Fowles is a great reminder to us of going, hey, how good God is. And so would you watch this with us? I was born on a farm near the Larsland community up north of Glasgow. And I got married at pretty young and moved with my husband to Glasgow. And then we waited 10 years to have our daughter and then another four years to have our son. In the spring of 2015, um, I was having some female problems, so I decided I better start doctoring and figure out what was wrong. Um, I'd gone to another doctor, or I'd gone to a, a doctor who told me to get a mammogram and wasn't really fond of the doctor, so I just kind of poo-pooed the idea. And then I went to uh, the next doctor, and um, she performed some tests, and then when I was ready to leave, she said, when's the last time you've had a mammogram? And I said a couple of years ago. And um, she replied to that, it would really make me feel better if you got a mammogram. So that kind of softened my heart about the whole mammogram thing, and I went and got one. Well, long story short, um, I had breast cancer, um, something that uh, it's in my family, so I thought maybe one day it might happen to me, but never expected it this soon. I felt a nearness to God that I I can't describe it. Uh, I just felt he was walking with me. And I struggle sometimes with doubts of my salvation, but at that time, I just really felt the presence of God with me and uh, guiding me and, and helping me. And it was really miraculous that um, we had a couple little setbacks, but the doctors I got and uh, the health care providers were just wonderful, and I think he guided that entire journey. The Sunday I found out, I got a call during church, and I was annoyed. Um, it was a number I did not recognize, so I turned off my phone. And Jody said to me, what if it was one of the kids? What if it was the doctor? And I said, well, you better go check. I'll turn my phone on. So I went back in the study, the pastor's study, and 
uh, got another phone call and it was the doctor telling me that I had breast cancer. And so um, I called my family out of church and um, I called the children's minister and we all prayed together. And so I'm sure that was by God's design. I was kind of annoyed with the doctor for picking a Sunday morning to call me, but it was the best place to find out that I had cancer. As we had surgery, and I'd never really had surgery before, so it became real when we started to, when they started to cut, and then um, that chemotherapy was getting closer. And I remember being down in Billings and the doctor saying, your cancer's a little bit worse than we thought it would be. Um, and being really afraid, just panicky. And I finally said to myself, um, God, I know you number my days and my days are written in your book. And if it's my time to go, then it's my time to go. And actually releasing that to God gave me an amount of peace that I hadn't had before I was trying to, kept having anxious thoughts and trying to, you know, clear every, clarify everything in my mind. And it just released me from that. I had my first surgery in June and two weeks later, just about when I was healed up from my first surgery, I get a call from my surgeon. The margins aren't clear, so we want to go in again. And it was also in one of my lymph nodes. And so I freaked out and I was outside watering my plants and crying. And I prayed, God, I need something here. And up the street, just at that, I just turn around and here's my dad driving up the street in his pickup. He's 90 years old. And he talked to me about inconsequential, inconsequential things. And that calmed me down. And then we went inside to have coffee. And I said, Dad, I don't know how much longer I have left. And he said, neither do I. And we had a laugh about it, and that kind of lightened things up. When I was going through my chemo treatments, every week I would invite someone to come with me, and a lot of ladies from the church um, and new cancer friends would come with me and support me. And I think it's very important that when you have cancer, you get a support system and you reach out to people because a lot of times people are willing to do that if you just reach out. Um, and right before, kind of uh, a few weeks after we found out, we had people pray for me in the prayer room and that was pretty special too and I just felt that the prayers of God's people really must have worked because everything went pretty smoothly all throughout my treatments.
I finished my last treatment in September of 2016, and I went through a total of 15 months of cancer treatments. Christ brought me through the whole process. Jesus is the one that you need to have faith in as God's son. Take his hand, believe in him, and you will see paradise. Through these whole uh, stories, it just reminds me that everybody does have a story. Everybody does have a, um, a moment where they can look back and go, this could be a defining moment of me walking away from it all or pressing into God or just kind of throwing up our hands and saying, I'm, ah, I'm done. And so as I've looked through... Um, as I've looked through these stories and I've read, read where we're at in the scripture, it really comes to a point of going, are we going to choose that God is always for us? I love the statement that she makes in there when she meets her dad. I don't know much, how much more time I have left. And what is his response? Neither do I. Paul, later on in some of his writings, he says this. He says, for me, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, I've kind of been watching and allowing some of the anxiety of all the farmers, right, who don't have all their crops in right now going, man, there might be some people's livelihoods being destroyed through this. I watch people who are going through medical situations and I'm just like, man, they could be losing their life through this. I watch people who are just struggling with depression day in and day out, just going, when will this ever end? And I'm thinking to myself going, are they ever going to get through any of these things? And what does it boil down to then? And, and I, I just think, what if it's that we could realize that God is always for us? He's always walking with us, and, and it is our decision whether we're going to see that or not, or whether we're going to shake our fists at God and go, why are you doing this? You see, the story we just left off on was that uh, Paul had this dream of seeing a Macedonian man saying, come and help us, we need the gospel. And so then what happens is, is Paul jumps on a ship and they just travel exactly to where they're going and they get there. Paul doesn't see the guy. But in verses 13, uh, verses 11, and that's where we're going to start with this morning is, is kind of right where it starts out. And we all of a sudden see how even God is for absolutely everyone and continuing to guide Paul. And so in verse 11, it says this, we boarded a boat at Tros and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed in uh, Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside of the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira. 
a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. And she listened to us. The Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Now, there's a lot of things going on in that verse. And sometimes when we look at this, we go, ah, there's not much. But let me tell you, there's tons of things going on. The first is this, is that this is one of, Philippi is one of the major outposts of the Roman uh, of the Roman civilization at this point, right, is one of the furthest reaching parts of Rome, and it's where most people go. If there was a retirement community, Philippi is the retirement community. You have, a community. You have all of the people who have fought for Rome all along. Rome, actually, Philippi actually is crazy. I read something that says that um, even Philippi, they did not pay taxes, Right? It's basically because of all the people that were in government, all of, the, all of your generals, they went to retire there. Rome didn't require uh, taxes from them, but these are high up people. And Paul just happens to get there. And if there's anybody that has any clout at some point, it's these people. And then he goes and it says on the Sabbath they go out to the riverbank. When there is a community that doesn't have a synagogue or anything, most people went to the water source, then they would pray, and that's where they would do their Sabbath morning rituals. And so he goes there, and what does he find? Just women. But wait a second. Aren't we supposed to be finding a guy? Isn't this the dream I'm supposed to be having? And, and I love what this really is just reiterating. In a paternalistic society and all of these different things, God is saying the gospel is for everyone. Doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your economic status, doesn't matter anything but the fact that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul is starting to expand his ideas on this, right? So in Romans 1.6, if you guys have that up for me, that would be amazing. Uh, it says this, for I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. The, f the Jews first and also then the Gentiles. And it comes through us, but now God is working through the whole entire world. And then he goes on later on in Galatians 3.28 says, There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. God is setting up something unbelievable in the church of Acts right now that says everybody is welcome. We've gone over this before, but once again, this theme keeps coming out over and over again. Everybody is welcome to partake in a relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter your background, no matter where, uh, how bad you've done, how good you've been, here's the point. Jesus is saying you are welcome to have a relationship with God. And Lydia has quite a bit of an ability to, to be forceful, right? She, uh, first of all, here's a couple things. She's an incredible businesswoman because uh, it says actually that she um, is a merchant of expensive purple cloth. 
Okay, what that means is, is the Roman world, purple was a sign of royalty, so she's selling all of her wares to the royal people in Rome. In, uh, in some other places, it says that Lydia is incredibly forceful. She gets people to do what needs to be done. Right, Marge? There was a lady that we used to have in our church, and Marge first started coming to this church. Her name was Marion Meidinger, and uh, Marion Meidinger came up to Marge uh, one Sunday and goes, hey, we have a potluck next week. You're bringing two chickens. You're going to cook them and bring two chickens, and guess what Marge said? Yep. If you're afraid of Marge, think of what Marion Meidinger would be like. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm not afraid of you, Marge. We'll talk in my office later. All right. <laughs> can you imagine what God can do with a person who is open up to what God wants to do in their lives and run with it? It turns out that the Macedonian man happens to be a Macedonian woman saying, we need help here. Come share the gospel with us. I just, I love the picture of this, of these people just going, no, this is the way it is. And she's got such a great command of her household that, not a command, but uh, her household loves her so much that the whole entire household goes, of course we would follow you. Of course we see what's going on in your life. And so we start getting these, this foothold into Philippi. And if you're wondering why this is kind of important, is, is there's a whole entire book written called Philippians, written to the church. This is the starting of a church going on. And so what do Paul and Silas do? They kind of sit in this for a little while, and they, uh, we continue on in verse 16 that says, One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell us how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly her le it left her. This is where the story turns a little bit, right? This is where we see something kind of different in terms of why, why wouldn't you, <laughs> this is kind of interesting, why wouldn't you want this girl to be walking around saying, hey, these guys are from Jesus, like he, these guys are a gift of God, you should turn and follow The whole point is, is I think that as Paul and Paul had learned previously that as soon as they do some sort of a miracle, right, it becomes pandemonium. Do you remember a couple chapters ago when they get beaten, stoned, and left out for dead, all because people were saying, you have the power to heal your gods. And Paul doesn't want to get mixed up with the idea that a fortune teller and God are the exact same thing. They're not. 
And this is where I, I also love to show the difference in our personality or the difference in our earthly thoughts and what we, what we desire versus what God desires. Because this is what happens in verse 19. It continues to go, and our master's hopes of wealth, wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. This is what kind of blew my mind a little bit as I was thinking about this. Nobody cares that the woman had a demon pulled out of her. That this little girl who happens to be filled with an evil spirit they just throw her off to the wayside and they say, eh, not a big deal. She can't help us anymore. And yet, the most important thing is, is that Paul and Silas in this story had an ability through Jesus Christ because he says, and I love this, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Not in the name of Paul, not in the name of Silas, not in anything else but Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ freeze this girl she is now free from an evil spirit she's now free from people who are treating her like just like like a cheap whore i'm just going to get money off of you and that's all i need from you and until you're no longer useless i'm going to throw you on the wayside Sometimes, I'm just going to let you know, some of us feel like that. In some of our relationships, we feel like the only reason why they're in it is so that they can get something from us. And then as soon as we're no longer good for them, they just throw us on the wayside. But that's not the truth. The truth is we do have value and God desires freedom. God desires that any situation we are in to glorify him and to know our worth. Not to worry about whatever else is going on around us, but to go, hey, am I glorifying God in absolutely everything I do? I love this story, and I, I'm gonna, I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm going to take us there. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as I was studying this, this story came up over and over again in just my thought process in my mind. And, and what they said was the most amazing thing to me. And it's found in Daniel's chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And what had happened was is that these guys are super smart. They are the exiles from, um, from Jerusalem. And so Babylon takes them over. They've been teaching them uh, how to become Babylonians and all that and teaching them their ways. And so King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this huge entire statue and says, hey, when you hear the trumpets blow and you hear all of these things, uh, when you hear the music play, everybody is to bow down because the golden statue is worth bowing down to and you need to give your life to it. And what happens when all of that happens? Shadrach and Abednego, Meshach and Abednego don't bow down. They don't bow down. And so he says, anybody who doesn't bow down to this is going to be thrown into a fire. 
And so somebody tattles on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they come to King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar goes, all right, I'm going to give you one more chance. If you're not going to bow down, then I'm going to throw you in this fire. And he gets so enraged because they say no. He gets so enraged that he makes the fire 10 times hotter. At this very moment, I'm just going to let you know at this very moment, part of me would hope that I could stand up and say no still, but the other part of me would go, that's going to really hurt. My life is absolutely going to be altered. And I love their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Love that. We're never going to serve. You're not going to sway us. You're not going to change what God is calling us to do. I feel like in this very moment when we see this girl be freed, that's exactly what God is trying to do in the world by saving people, by redeeming people, by saying, here's redemption for you. But on the other hand, Paul and Silas are also stuck with this in front of a judge now, and this mob is quickly getting angry. In verse 27, verse 22, we'll pick it back up, and it says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into the prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. So now it's looking pretty dire. We're going to do what God called us to do, even when it means freeing a girl and the rest of the community is mad at us. And they find themselves in prison. And if you're taking notes with me, this is the very first thing I want you to write down is this. Prison is not where we go to find God. Prison is not where we go to find God. And what I want to tell you what I mean by this. is it doesn't mean we put ourselves in those positions where we go, oh, I just got to get myself a little lower, I got to finally hit rock bottom, or I've just got to go through this so that I can find God at the very end, right? Not the, it's not the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or anything like that. No, it is the idea that whenever, wherever we are at is where God is. And so if you're still taking notes with me right here, God is with us in the prison. So if prison is not where we go to find God and God is with us in the prison, what am I trying to get at? And it's, it's this, is that prison is a place, not a reality. 
Guys, there's always going to be something next for us, right? It's always going to be, hey, we're, we are in this now, and then we, we finally conquer that, and maybe we're in something else, and then we finally get through this, and, and all the time we're just going, where is God, where is God? And, and yet, the whole entire thing is this, is that God is absolutely all around us. He has been at the very beginning of all of this going, I have been with you the whole entire time. Would you recognize me, please? And so what is the response of Paul and Silas? And I love this response in verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. How many of you guys have ever heard somebody uh, who just got, this is, I'm going to use Cheryl as the example. How many of you guys have ever heard of a person getting a diagnosis of cancer and in the hospital room you start hearing them singing worship songs? How many of us have have been in that room and people say, oh, I just got, I just got served with this or I'm getting this or this accident has happened and then right away we just start to pray. You see, when I take on everybody's things of, hey, I'm watching marriages not go well and I'm watching somebody go through deep depression or I'm seeing somebody who has complete PTSD just trying to figure out life and I'm watching people go, what's happening? I take it on and guess what I instantly do? Well, God, I, I don't pray, that's for sure. What can I do? Oh, that just stinks. Or start, uh, start worrying about, oh my goodness, are they going to lose this or lose that? And on all reality, and this is what I say to a lot of people that come into my office, what's the worst thing that can happen to us? What's the very worst thing that can happen? And the thing is this, is that there is nothing on this side of death that is the worst. The worst thing that can absolutely happen to us is we choose not to praise God in life and therefore end up in an eternity without God. We can go through absolutely everything in this world and come out the other side and go, I am with God. And that's where I think Paul is so smart when he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so in the middle of them being in prison, they're singing and suddenly there was this massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation and all the doors immediately threw open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Not just Paul and Silas, but the other prisoners. And, I, and once again, I find this picture unbelievable when Jesus is sitting on the cross and he's got, and he's got a crim, both criminals on either side and one of them says, Jesus, you don't deserve this, but we do. And the other guy is mocking, saying, if you really are truly the son of God, get yourself off. Get yourself off the cross. 
And this other prisoner goes, but we deserve to be here. Jesus, would you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus' response is, man, I'll, I'll remember you. Today, you and I will be in paradise. It's this picture of Paul and Silas sitting in the jail and all the rest of the jailers haven't left because they realize they deserve to be there, but Paul and Silas don't. And if Paul and Silas can put themselves there, then we'll stay too. What a, an amazing testimony. So then the jailer brings them out and asks them, sir, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in, this, in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. In the midst of the dark moments and the dark hours in, in all of our lives, having Jesus Christ as the forefront, that prison is not where we go, oh, I'm finally going to find God, but know that God is with us and he's saying, hey, I'm even here too, and this isn't your current, this, this isn't your current place. The reality is, is that, man, I'm, I'm with you always. So check this out. They release a girl from, the de uh, from being demon-possessed. They go to court. They get put in jail. In the jail, they sing. The jail is completely shaken in the middle of the night, right? So this is all in a 24-hour period, y'all. In the middle of the night... The jailer washes their wounds, becomes a Christian, the whole household is saved. They get a meal in front of them, they're washed up, and now we're in the morning time. God works miracles. And so in the morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailers, let those men go. So the jailers told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. Paul replies, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens, so now they want us to leave secretly, certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, so they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. There's a whole bunch more that I could talk about, but I, I don't, I, I'm not going to get into it. The, the thing is this, is that in the middle of it, we're also not just doormats either. We allow God to work through us in all these situations. And as we do in the midst of it, we start to realize that God is creating a church. 
At the very end of this whole entire thing, we now have Lydia and all of her friends that were at the river. We now have the people that they've talked to. We now have all of the prisoners. We have, all of, we have the jailer and his whole entire household. They are now a church in Philippi. I'm going to say this probably didn't take very long. In the midst of everything that's happening, our thing, our, not fortunes, but our outlook on life can change like that because we know that God can work through us all the time. And so whatever situation you came in today, can I let you know this, is that you are welcome with Jesus. That Jesus is for absolutely everyone. And that if you are in the midst of something going on in, in your life, here's the deal. God is with you. Would you just be willing to see him differently? Not as a God that's putting his thumb on you and saying, you have to go through this, but that a God who is saying, I'm going to help you get through this. And watch what he does around you as you seek him. I'm going to ask the usher, or not the ushers, the worship team to come up, and we're going to sing one last song, and the song is Jesus Messiah. And in one part of the song, it says, Jesus Messiah, name above all names. In everything that's going on in your life right now, would you do me a favor? Would you just lay it down and say, God, I want to praise you? right now in the midst of what's going on in my life. If you are struggling with anything, would you just say, God, I need you to take care of this. Would you be my Jesus Messiah? Lord, we just thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who could die on the cross for us so that we could be with you. But in that, God, that you've called us into a relationship with you, that God, you don't leave us alone. That in every single situation we are in, that uh, you are with us. God, would you quiet our own sinful nature so that we can hear you, that we can see things differently, that we can give you the praise and glory that you're due. God, we love you and we thank you. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.